0: Welcome back to our latest TAP Talks HR podcast. Today I have with me Joe Drury, Diversity and Inclusion and Leadership Consultant. Hi Joe, welcome to the TAP Talks HR podcast.
1: Hi Anthony, thanks for having me.
0: No worries. So Joe, today we're talking about engaging with allies in the organisation. So do you want to start by explaining what you mean by an ally in the organisational context?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, many organisations are well underway with what I would call proactive inclusion rather than just sort of thinking about what they're obliged to do legally um, and even then going beyond best practice. Um, And one of the components of that is um, building a a group um, or a force, if you will, of allies within the organisation who aren't necessarily... um, part of the diverse community themselves but have some sort of interest in supporting the inclusion cause within organizations Um, and the short answer to the question who, who is an ally is that anyone can be an ally the the longer answer would be a breakdown of the types of ally that you could identify and enlist the support of so to give you an example of some of the categories I mean, um, it might be that someone's keen to be an ally because they just have a, a general interest in inclusion and you know, social justice. So, for example, during 2020, as well as everything else that was going on in the world, uh, there was a lot of progress in the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and a lot of media interest in what was going on. And as a result of that, I'm aware of a lot of organisations who had many employees saying, "I'm not part of that community, but I really want to know what I can do to support." Um, it might be that uh, a good candidate for an ally is someone who has some level of DNI, and by DNI I mean Diversity and Inclusion, by the way. Uh, so they may have some sort of DNI responsibility. Um, in the organisation. So that may be a company-wide inclusion target or KPI, or it might be that they're a senior leader. Um, it's also very common to see people who have close friends and family members who have a diverse characteristic. So it's something that's really close to their heart. Um, or it may be that and someone can be allied to a specific um, community so it might be the lgbtq plus community it might be the uh, you know a gender. it might be uh, a disability um and it may be that that individual has a diverse characteristic themselves that they want to be an ally for another community as well so that they can work more collaboratively
0: and it's interesting isn't it because i think that the world of diversity in is so diverse in itself isn't it and yeah. i think if you if you look at Interesting characteristics and how, I love the bit you said about people have a family member who they have an emotional vested interest in yeah. kind of thing and I think when we talk about uh communities and and supporting communities in work through inclusion we often think of people only in that community as an ally don't we yes. and, and I've seen it and and being someone uh who who representing physically obviously you can't see this on the podcast but I have been called the white male before you know, I have <laughs> to, to say this that actually I am really passionate about people having equal rights and yes. an equal opportunity in the UK yes. and sometimes I feel a little bit helpless so do you see uh, the, in the ally community this is a way out for people to actually show that they they do care
1: oh absolutely and and it's it's really you know that in itself is something that should be encouraged socially but within organizations when you consider how much time we spend at work or thinking about work or doing something to do with work it's really important. Um, and, you know, as, as emotional beings, the uh, the idea of leaving work at work and home at home, particularly now that a lot of us are working from home, you know, is really something that's that's a thing of the past um, in my mind. And in order to be able to feel like they're making a practical difference, it's important that organisations have some sort of routine and some sort of structure to be able to support an ally movement and, and come up with an ally program potentially. Um, I think the the motivations of someone who wants to be a, an ally is a really important thing for organizations to understand. And those motivations, you know, whether the motivation is because they have an interest or a care in that, um, or whether there's also an additional piece that they want to be able to use it as a platform to network and to demonstrate their own skill, that's also okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that being part of that motivation, uh, the more complex uh, and I'd argue necessary thing to work out and the work to do for organisation, organizations is attracting allies um, and then being able to sort of define and agree roles and responsibilities and manage the expectations of any stakeholders that you might have of ally programs in an organization
0: okay and that's really interesting so so we know there's loads of people out there who want to be allies kind of thing so thinking about the impact that ally involvement can have on inclusion activities in the organizations what impact do you think they can have
1: well that all depends on how it's approached from, from inception really and that's not to suggest that if you have allies in an organization and you don't feel that there's a massive impact at the moment that you can't almost go back a stage or reinvent what that looks like. Um, there's, there's a lot of organizations that I see um, who <clears throat> identify and acknowledge that they should maybe have an ally program or groups of allies, um, but they maybe don't go too far into what that should look like strategically how well it should align with the diversity and inclusion strategy in the organization, excuse me. And what you end up doing is you have allies walking around maybe wearing lanyards that demonstrate, you know, visible support for a particular cause. And whilst there's nothing wrong with that. That is where a lot of organizations can sort of fall short on getting the real value out of it. So like I said earlier, defining roles and responsibilities, should and shouldn't dos, things like that are really, really important.
0: Um, so so I mean that's that's super interesting because um that really reminds me of an analogy towards like well-being in the workplace and and we're all into having mental health first aiders and everything but that's just the sticking plaster actually if you want to really go deep into well-being you redesign work yes and you design it into a positive way so I can imagine that that bit about allies about wearing the lanyard to show support is, is great. But actually, I suppose what you're saying is actually you need the energy of those allies to go deep into the organisation to support and connect with the inclusion activity yes. that you're trying to build.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, for example, um, some allies will be more resistant to doing more because they may feel that they don't have uh, the structure or the understanding or the knowledge that they need. Other allies may find themselves in a sticky situation if they um, are clearly present and people recognize that they're part of the inclusion drive, but they end up being asked questions or being asked for guidance um, that they're not qualified to, to provide. So, you know, they're, they're at risk of, um, you know, maybe saying something that they shouldn't from an HR point of view. Um, and so it's a really important for organizations to go, okay, we've got these people who are interested in being allies. We've also got, you know, whatever other inclusion activity you've got going on in the organisation, and there really, really then needs to be um, sort of collaboration with those efforts and the individuals responsible for them for it to work properly. So, you know, if you really want something to stick, fully manage expectations. A role profile is a great idea for mm. for, for an ally, just as with any role in the organisation. I think with um, cultural volunteer-based roles it's important to have, you know, what are we aiming for? You know, what's the headline for this individual for their role? What are the responsibilities? Who are the stakeholders? What are the relationships? Um, And then, you know, that all, you know, you can dig into that to cover what should they do when they need to signpost? How do they understand the context of what it is they're saying to people? Um, It might also be that, that that individual has skills and qualifications that can be leveraged. So rather than just having a, a sort of flat level that allies operate at you might have allies who come in seasonally because they have a certain understanding or a certain professional network or you might have people who um, you know, for example let's say you have other networks in the organization who are diverse employee networks so it might be uh, an lgbtq plus network it might be a bane network and they are part of um, a bigger piece where they're running events or they're running campaigns, there might be an ally who is a qualified designer, um, graphic designer, for example, or someone who works in marketing, who can use their specific skills to really really help and support the the cause. Um, And as as you sort of said, um, in terms of of your profile
0: um,
1: (laughs) and, and, and how you might identify, one of the things that is, is particularly important um, is to have people who might be um, considered to come from maybe a more privileged background, or a more represented background, um, to be able to, to demonstrate they care by speaking up, contributing to any sort of call out culture, um, and you know dispelling myths. Amongst other people, so, you know, let's say, for example, um, a cisgender, straight, white, able male. And by cisgender, I mean uh, that they they identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. An individual who who has those characteristics, you know, they can really make a difference when it comes to a understanding and being curious about other people um, and other people's experiences, because sometimes we end up being not on purpose, but sometimes we end up being quite blind to the struggles of other people when we haven't had to experience them ourselves. And I think there's a real um, there's a real issue at the moment that we face socially, and this will translate in organisations, where um, we're a bit frightened of that. There's a degree of shame that's attached to that. And when we hear, um, you know, kind of what we should be doing um, and what our obligations are, from people who've either had those struggles or from people who are trying, you know, who are specifically responsible for inclusion, um, sometimes it can feel like a bit of a telling off. So by having allies who also have a privileged background or have pockets of privilege, you know, understanding that and talking to their peers about how they can make a difference, it creates a, a sort of not shame free necessarily, but a reduced shame environment.
0: It's almost like having a, a bridging mechanism or a translation mechanism about how to interpret your message yes. to every community yeah. or sub-community within an yeah. organisation, not just maybe the the one you're trying to assist, kind of thing. Absolutely,
1: so. and and you know when you consider um, the the silos that you often um, sort of come across in organisations, whether that is to do with the structure of the organisation um, and you know the different. Uh, departments that they have and the way it operates, or whether that is more of a broad cultural piece. You know, and lots of organisations struggle with silo working. And if if your plans around inclusion and how you're going to use allies don't anticipate that, um, then you're probably also going to fall short. Um, so you know, for example, you might feel without allies doing the, the full role that they can, there's a bit of a an us and them, and you know, certain people trying to uh, push their agenda. Um, And it almost creates this idea of scarcity, which I think is another myth that we need to dispel when it comes to culture. You know, there there is not a a kind of finite piece of the pie for everyone, because by being more collaborative, by inviting diverse perspectives, um, um, you know, you've got more innovation, you've got more productivity, you can better serve your end user. Um, And and allies are are absolutely a part of that. So rather than feeling ashamed of, you know, being more privileged, it's about understanding how they can use that platform um, to A, understand and B, work towards collaborative solutions that are more inclusive.
0: And I love your analogy about the pie. There, it's not about how to divvy up the pie yeah. more evenly. It's about actually, if we all work together, we can have a bigger pie. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it can
1: be exponential. You know, if you've got if you've got the right components in place as part of your DNI strategy, that is balanced when it comes to how you gather data, how you interpret data, um, how you plan, and then have a level of fluidity in that plan. Um, and then making sure that you're getting feedback about what people's lived experience is. And again, this is allies can be useful here, just as diverse employee networks can be useful to get that information. So can allies because they have an in to a, a broader network than any you know any other group in isolation.
0: So there's almost two things here for me. I love the fact that uh, you were talking a bit earlier about uh, the two way street about yes. the you might need to give um, knowledge and skills to an ally to make sure that they're prepared for any inquisitive person or curious person who comes to them and say, actually, tell me more, I want to learn. But also they bring skills... Them that can actually support uh, the inclusive activities within the organization, as you were right saying, if you're doing events and everything, you need people who are good at events, yes. kind of thing, not yes. just people who are knowledgeable about what the event is going to contribute to.
1: Absolutely. And you know, and they've got they've got real sort of potential to influence how well you embed um certain initiatives or activities or events. Um, I mean, I think events are great when it comes to trying to be more inclusive. Um Obviously, at the moment, face-to-face is a bit of a problem. Um, But in any instance, I would suggest as well that, um, you know, events as a go-to is people are sometimes a bit too event-heavy with what they do and people can get event fatigue. So some of the more subtle nuances behind communications and campaigns, that's where you can also bring in your your allies so that you've got more of a breadth and depth of of really getting that embedded in the organisation.
0: Because I think, uh, I think, yeah, that that, that second piece around the, the ally being that conduit of of informal communication. So someone who might feel that they don't know something and might be a bit nervous about going right to the centre of something to find out wants to learn a little bit first to feel a little bit of confidence, and there's someone in their team who is an ally for that network who doesn't necessarily. Uh, benefit from actually the output of that network but is an ally towards it Uh, that's a great in isn't it oh yeah definitely so what else do you think an ally should expect to commit to and gain from their involvement it sounds like uh, everyone should be signing up to be an ally at the moment
1: well yeah absolutely and I think you know the 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 great thing the momentum that you can garner from um, you know more allies signing up is that if one of the things holding people back from really getting on board with what's happening around inclusion in organisations and and more generally in society, um, like you said, by having people they can talk to who can say, well, do you know, I used to have this kind of view or this was my assumption previously, but here's just a bit of an insight into what I've learned, Again, you know, it's, it's it's the momentum and the kind of exponential increase of understanding and awareness and how people are talking to each other. So one of the, the phrases that I commonly use when I'm talking to my clients about how they can get data and how they can interpret data and how they can move the conversation and the language forward in the organization is to really identify and then encourage people to be appropriately curious. So identify what that is and then give people the the skills and the tools to be able to have those sorts of conversations. Where, you know, because again, intention versus perception, there's a massive void between a person's um, intention and the recipient's perception. So again, you can use allies as a a broad group and a vehicle to again, just set the tone with that and and help people to understand. Um, But in terms of what they should sort of commit to and, and gain from their involvement, as I've said earlier, whether it's uh, part of a, a role profile or, or something less formal but equally um, sort of providing structure, they need to understand what their roles and responsibilities are. Um, they need to understand the relationships that they're going to have with other people who are responsible for inclusion in the organisation. And I say that. Um, to a degree in inverted commas because everybody should be responsible for inclusion in the organization but i mean more sort of strategically and, and structurally so that may be that will be your senior leadership team that will be um your any employee networks that you have which is is very much the way that many organizations are pushing inclusion forward by using diverse employee networks um it may be with hr communications um, and any other sort of organizational development force that you have in your organization. So what does the relationship contact um, look like? What, what are the objectives that you're going to get out of that? Um, it may also be that some people are a bit concerned about being an ally because they maybe don't have um, the sort of time or other resources to that they think they're going to need to give to it. So when you're doing a bit of um, sort of job design, if you will, for allies, Think about the different levels that you can have. So, you know, it might be again, like I said, that they can be more seasonal or light touch um, and still feel like they're making a difference. Um, and, you know, that th- there also are options that where they can give more time. But alongside that, the organization needs to plan for um, how they're going to endorse and give guidance on how that person discusses their involvement with a line manager and any conflicts and, and the sort of time that they're going to need as well. Um, so yeah, massive difference they can make. Um, it might be that there is a tenure for certain allies, if, if they're going to be able to give some time for, you know, a year, but then it's about, you know, having a bit of a turnover so they can go and focus on something else. But again, it, you know, be, being an ally, um, the, the spectrum is broad. So, um, bearing that in mind when you're starting what you're doing as an organization um, is is really really important um, you know things that they can gain from their involvement um, well the benefit of a more inclusive environment that that feeling of belonging mm-hmm. that we all want to know how we can uh, measure with metrics and we try our best um, but they can also increase the scale and the quality of their own professional network so whether you want to progress your career, or whether you just want to have better resources and tools for doing the, the role that you currently do, you know, by being an ally and getting, getting involved in what's happening, you're undoubtedly going to broaden your network, but also in, improve the relationships within your network. And that could come with all sorts of opportunities, whether that's career opportunities, recognition opportunities, and whatever it might be. Um, developing that that self-awareness and awareness of, of others and other situation. So, you know, working on your own personal brand, understanding your personal brand and how you fit and other people fit in the, the cultural context. Um, it can increase the exposure to innovation, diverse thinking. Um, and like I said, it can create a platform for somebody to be able to showcase their own skills uh, and, and model behaviors, that if that has formed part of their motivation, then that's okay. And it provides that as well.
0: And and I love this, this, we're now saying, well, actually, if you're an ally, you can use your passion about a subject in a very positive action orientated way. But actually, while you're doing that, you're actually developing yourself.
1: You are. You're, you're yeah.
0: challenging your own self awareness and your your any kind of biases that you might not have even known that you, you had. Kind of yeah. thing as you go through the learning process, but actually you improve your uh, communication skills, you improve your EQ, you, you can improve your 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 problem solving skills at the same time. Which is, and we all know in the world learning and development community how much of learning happens on the job and by being stretched. Yes. And I think that's great that that then connects with that idea of tenure. Yes, Because I think some people hold back from helping uh, uh, being an ally in an organization or maybe even helping a charity because they think, oh, once I've joined this activity, I can never come back out. Yes. and I'm sure there's loads of people sitting there listening to this podcast right now in some co- kind of coronavirus pandemic restriction going for 2021. I've got a bit of time. I want to help. Exactly. So what can I do this year? But if i mm, if i become an ally i've got to be an ally forever
1: exactly but what happens there yeah. so
0: i love that and, and, and i think and, it sorry carry on yeah. sorry
1: anthony and particularly at the moment you know that it might be that people are finding they either have more or less time with you know the way that that work is having to be structured to account for what's going on at the moment you know so and and you know you will always if you start out being an ally yes the hope is that you will always be an ally But the way in the the practical involvement of of you uh, to the cause and and the amount of time and resources that's going to take can fluctuate. And as I said, if if organisations are aware of this and can provide a platform for people to say, hey, look, I've got this time now, but can we review it in the future? Then it it just creates that sort of expectation of management and almost a bit of a sort of contracting session, really.
0: Yeah, uh, one thing I'm learning from this conversation, I love this conversation, Joey, thank you, um, is that actually that that having employee networks is one thing, but actually having allies can join, the the two interact, but actually it's almost one's filling the gap of the other one.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: One's servicing the network of that subsect of your culture, but the other one is actually almost like an interactive marketing socializing aspect of it really isn't it yes so and and
1: and that is is the idea and you know again you know Anthony from a lot of the work that you've done and the people that you work with that any any sort of cultural shift or or anything that is trying to really make a cultural impact in an organization has to be cohesive and it has to be collaborative because you know it's not the work of one person Um, and like I said I would absolutely recommend organizations either starting or looking at how they can further develop and make more sustainable their diverse employee networks because it's a it's a a huge benefit to hearing about lived experience and getting the involvement of those individuals to with the solution the allies being part of that as well not only does that mean that everybody can have a part to play that is identifiable and visible Um, But it also means that you're accounting for things such as um, intersectionality. So for those listeners who aren't aware of what intersectionality is, um, in brief, it means where someone has more than one diverse characteristic. So if if you don't mind me using myself as an example, um, I am a, a female who is a lesbian and has a neurodiverse condition. I have ADHD. So, you know, that, you know, and everyone's intersectional in some respect, um, but having, having allies involved helps where people uh, like myself, for example, I may have joined one of the networks, but I don't feel I have the time to be really actively involved in every single network. It accounts for the fact that we're all a, a big mix of different characteristics and experiences. So by, you know, by having those diverse employee networks, that is important, but, the risk that you run if you're not careful is having um, some campaigns or activities or events that seem a bit too exclusive with the involvement of allies that really starts to sort of counteract that and and create a more sort of holistic approach.
0: That's that's great and I I totally agree with the connection to intersectionality because if you can find one common denominator between you and, and the person you're talking to that builds rapport yes, and then you yeah. can take the conversation where you want it to go yeah. so I'm listening to this podcast I'm super excited now about the concept of allies and I want to know what I can do to get going so so what where can I start if I don't have anything like allies in my organization yes. what do you suggest to some of the first things they can do to start introducing allies
1: well that is dependent on sort of where an organisation is with their diversity and inclusion strategy. One thing I would stress to people um, who, who are listening to this and maybe um, sort of feeling excited about the prospects, but maybe are also a little bit anxious about being late to the party, so to speak, <laughs> that different organisations that I encounter on a daily basis are really at sort of different stages. So that's nothing to, to worry about. But it is important that, um, you know, it's not too transactional. So, you know, you might identify that you want allies, you might identify that you want other sort of initiatives in your organisation, but it needs to be joined up. So have a think about where you are with your diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, So, you know, inclusion for me being the really proactive part of that. Um, So, you know, not just the sort of representation and the spread that you have across your organisation, but what you're really doing to impact the experience of those individuals. Where where are you with that? Um, because you may then you know if it's at its inception, you might have a light touch approach to allies, but ensuring that, that the way that you're approaching it is future proofed, so that you you understand that you may need to be more refined in terms of their roles, responsibilities, and reach. Um, I think it's also important to um, like I say, consider bringing in employee networks alongside an, an ally network. Um, or use a a sort of an ally network to gauge interest and appetite for having um, diverse employee networks that you can then build. Um, Do you already have uh, a group of employees who have expressed an interest in being an ally? Uh, And if so, how are you capturing that Um, and sort of almost making a list, if you will, that you can refer back to? Um, And it might be that then those individuals, you can channel their enthusiasm and appetite into helping you create a framework alongside other diverse mm. colleagues in the organization because it's going to be you know as with anything it's going to be easier and more sustainable to embed a framework where people feel they've had some input into how it should happen rather than it feeling like it's solely top down or or just an instruction and um, so yeah it's it's going to re- you know reduce those communication barriers and if it's created in that respect as well it it really helps kind of break down some of the hierarchical communication barriers that you have. And that's, you know, actually the whole point of having these networks is that it it creates more sort of communication that isn't based on on what level you sit at in the organisation. So get them involved in helping you create what that looks like, run focus groups, um, send out surveys, um, you know, whatever it is, Um, because you can then use that as a benchmark to, to measure how well, uh, it's going when you're a bit further down the line alongside other measures that you're going to have in place.
0: It, it just goes back to the fact that a supported organic growth um, from real people in an organisation is always a better win than a rollout from the top, isn't it? It's, yes. Um, and we yeah. still believe the rollout from the top is the best way forward. Yes. Um, um, and you know,
1: and, and there's, you know, then there's also um, organisations who might have what I probably refer to as a pincer approach where it's sort of top down, bottom up. Um, but you're going to have allies that are going to be at all levels. So you're going to have senior leadership allies. You're going to have, you know, middle management allies, and you're going to have, you know, your kind of core frontline colleagues who are going to be allies. You know, they all have a part to play. Um, Hierarchy should be something that's more removed when you're looking at this sort of activity, but you can then also leverage their level of influence or their level of the, the network that they have at their level um
0: for, for those things and I think that's a great point to almost finish on there about the, the fact that I actually used people's influence to actually help build this now yeah. as I warned you before we started recording mm-hmm. I always get to the point saying we're running out of time here and yeah. uh, but I really to finish on I really if you had to give one snippet of advice or one thing that you would want people to take away from this podcast today what is that one parting thought you would like to share with people
1: um I think it would be to make sure that with your time um as as precious a a resource as it is in in many fast-paced environments use your time to speculate to accumulate on this because you know rather than just kind of going for it and and putting allies in place and not really having a plan um having a collaborative um considered idea of what allies could be and planning for that ahead of time is really going to stand you in good stead and and you can get quick wins as you kind of move into that process but you can also make sure that you've got that momentum and real value add for it for a long time
0: Fantastic. Excellent final words. Joe. thanks ever so much for your time today. I have been absolutely enjoying this, this podcast, and which is the reason why it's like gone on for over half an hour for our (laughs) 20 minute podcast. Apologies. um, No, no, it's fantastic. And I'm sure the listeners listening in probably want to hear more from you. So thanks ever so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Anthony. It's been very enjoyable. No worries. And to all of you listening, that's it for now for this TAP Talks HR podcast. Thanks for listening yourselves. You can find out more about subjects like diversity and inclusion and related topics on our website, uh, tapsolutions.com. But we'll be back soon with another TAP Talks HR podcast. But for now, have a good week and goodbye.